Welcome to Locked On NFL, your number one daily podcast on the National Football League. I'm the number one daily sports podcast network. I am your co-host, Brian Peacock. Along with me, as always, is the scout, Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. You can find Matt at Williamson NFL. You can find this program, just like all the shows, here on the Locked On Podcast Network on all of your favorite podcast apps. Tell a friend, tell three friends, let them know that not only are we talking about the NFL as a whole here on Locked On NFL, but your team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Post-draft reviews, NFC West is the division today. Arizona Cardinals, San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Rams, and Seattle Seahawks will be covered on today's program. But some news first, Matt, and uh, some fifth-year options being picked up. But the big news here is that, which is weird timing, To me, I don't know how you feel about this one, but Andy Dalton will be released from the Cincinnati Bengals, and there might be a couple of teams interested, like maybe the Patriots, maybe the Jaguars we're hearing right now. Yeah, Um, I just kind of dug into this a little bit. I mean, he was scheduled to make $17.7 million. We know this is a, we'll be kind and say frugal organization. They're a hard team to trade with. I guess they couldn't get an offer they wanted. So they're going to let him go and he can test the market on his own, which is kind of a gift to him. I mean, I would imagine he can pick his spot then. Um, 32 years old, nine-year starter. I, th- I still think he has starter. You know, I think he's still a low-end starter and or a quality backup, high-quality backup, or a spot guy, you know, while someone holds down the fort. Um a couple things I found just looking around, though. I mean, he's played 24 games over the last two years through 25 picks in those last 24 games, you know, and was benched last year for Ryan Finley for a short stretch, which, frankly, I thought was a little ludicrous. I mean, Finley's not good, but I guess they wanted to see what they had in the yeah. young guy. I mean, clearly that was a mistake and did not help them win games. But Cam Newton and James Winston will tell you it's not exactly a buyer's market right now for quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks. Right, that's a good point. So, like Winston, he's going to have to take backup money and be a backup somewhere with a chance to maybe prove that he can still be more than that. He's always been that Mendoza line quarterback for me yeah. in the NFL, and you're you're you kind of want a better starter than Andy Dalton, but he's still probably one of the 32 best starters in the league. Although that number seems to be rising because old guys aren't retiring and. The, there's more and more, out. yeah, more and more young guys. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe there is too, and and we're seeing it with Cam and and Winston and guys like that. Maybe there's too many starting quarterbacks in the NFL, which is maybe something I've never said in my life. Yeah, I mean, I think there are more than 32 capable starting quarterbacks, and I'm going to put Fitzpatrick in that mold. You know what I mean? But then, right. like you said, you you put in the guys that were drafted high over the last two and even three years that deserve time, deserve, you know, uh, a spot in the lineup to develop. There's not 32 jobs. I mean, the musical chairs, there's a couple people standing still. I do think it's a little curious in, from a Bengals perspective in that we don't have many camps and training camps and those things like most likely. And you're going to ask the rookie just to step right in. I mean, I thought there was a decent chance Dalton might start the season, but we can talk about landing spots here in a minute too. Yeah, and I, I thought that the obvious play here by the, the by the Bengals was that Dalton was going to be the guy this year to help the young quarterback along, at least through camp and through the season, and then next year Andy Dalton would be gone. And just in case the rookie's not ready to go, you don't want to throw him into the fire week one if he's not quite there. 
Uh, and if you have Andy Dalton, it makes that a lot easier and it makes more sense on paper and fans wouldn't be freaking out if you put Andy Dalton in the game week one, you know, but Burrow's obviously going to be the guy and then they're going to throw him out there early, whether or not right. he's ready at this point now, but it had to be that they thought they could get a trade for Andy Dalton, but right, like $17 million, nobody was going to pay that for Andy Dalton. So just the timing of it is kind of weird. And I guess they thought maybe let's see it right after the draft, maybe a team that thought they were going to get a quarterback didn't and we can trade him Andy Dalton. And since that didn't happen now, he gets released. Yeah. And obviously the Patriots come to mind and maybe they knew all along I don't have to give a pick for this guy because eventually the Brown family is not going to pay him 17.7 to sit on the bench and we can get him for nothing. That very well could happen by the time people have been listening to this. I could absolutely see that. But I mentioned, I mean, Dalton is not a Alex Smith caretaker, Tyrod Taylor caretaker. And I don't think his, his highs are high enough for Belichick to say, I, I'll take a mistake-prone guy, you know? I mean, they're going to win with defense and special teams, without a doubt, more this year than ever. I can't be – you can't be turning th- throwing 25 picks over the last 24 games to be my starting quarterback. Um, Jacksonville absolutely comes to mind, and he might be better than Gardner Minshew right now. I think that's absolutely a conversation. At a minimum, would probably be a good influence on him. Um, and then the other scenarios I could see are go back up, a old true starter like Winston did in New Orleans, like Matt Ryan's backup comes to mind. I'm sure people will bring him, bring him up here in Pittsburgh as Ben's backup. That situation I think would be great for him, you know, especially on a contending team. And then lastly, the other ones I thought about were, were like, go to the Jets and back up Sam Darnold. You know, one of those type of situations kind of act as a big brother if he struggles, you can step in, you know, I, I don't know how receptive. I mean, I, I think some of us make the mistake that, oh, these veteran quarterbacks are all just going to be great influences. I don't know if he's a good, bad or indifferent influence, but <laughs> I, you know what I mean? But I can see him going to be a backup to somebody who's very young and, you know, an, an up, a riser. Right. That's a great point. You don't want someone to sabotage your young quarterback because of competition either. Although, you know, uh, at a certain level, competition is going to make somebody better and you don't want a quarterback. You would rather find out that your young quarterback can't handle that competition, too. So, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe if he is adversarial, that could still help your young quarterback. But, you know, someone that knows the offense, I would have assumed in Cincinnati that would have helped things out at this point. Yeah. Where's where does he get the most money to be a backup? And the obvious fit is actually the Patriots that we've talked about already. And they seem to have had an, every opportunity to get another quarterback. So I really get the feeling the Patriots don't care and they want to rock with Stidham and Brian Hoyer and that, that they're not even looking at Andy Dalton. So um, even though it seems like the obvious fit, maybe it's, maybe it's not. Yeah. I I think they like Stidham a lot more than we realize. First of all, Um, how about the Rams? Yeah. Same offense he ran in Cincy this last year. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, push golf maybe, but at least give you insurance. You know, they were a field goal away from going to the playoffs last year, you know, so th- that wouldn't be a bad spot. Or if you're Dalton, do you do the, and I don't know if Cam Newton's doing anything on purpose and not signing with the team yet, but wait until there's that training camp injury. Then a team mm-hmm. needs a guy that can come in, then you jump in and, and strike at you. that point maybe. Um, I don't know. That, that's an interesting idea for the way that the Dalton camp could play this. By the way, you mentioned um, Alex Smith earlier, and I want to 
we hadn't talked about this at all. Did you see the clip from E60 about with uh, the, Alex Smith's leg? The photo? There, well, there's a video, too. I don't know if there was a photo, oh, okay. but... I, I saw a photo and oh, made me want to barf. Oh, my gosh. I didn't... Wow. I mean, you, you can hear Real stories bad. about how, you know, maybe he could have lost his leg and potentially even lost his life with how bad that injury was and how bad that um, post-surgery infection was. But when you see it, it really drives it home. Oh, my goodness. Right. It's really... It's hard on the eyes. I mean, it is. It's not for the... It's it make you a little squeamish. And, and I will say, like, I remember a while ago, like, I think J.J. Watt put a, a something out on Twitter or whatever of a bruise he had on his leg that would have crippled me. You know, I mean, like, <laughs> it, when you're around these players and you happen to walk through the, the you know, the medical area, it's amazing what they deal with. I mean, the, the marks on their body and the injuries are, it, it's unbelievable. And it's crazy that Alex Smith's talking comeback still. He's like, I, I want to, you know, I want to wow. come back from this. I want to work my butt off and see if it's something that I could still do, which is pretty amazing. So props to Alex Smith for even going through that. When And I want to see the whole E60 episode. I just saw a quick little video and uh, I, was, I was blown away by what his leg looked like. Oh, it's rough. I mean, I'm sure like you, you, I mean, like you, I, I wish him the best, but oh, for sure. I, I don't think he's going to play football again. It doesn't seem like it would even be possible with <laughs> like the fact that he can right. walk again and, and has his leg is, is pretty amazing when you see it. It really drives that home uh, real yeah. quick. Thumbs up, thumbs down on the latest fifth year options that have been picked up. Mike Williams for the Chargers and the Giants picked up both of their first year options, Jabril Peppers and Evan Ingram. I thought Williams and Engram were close, but definitely a yes when it was all said and done. I think they're playmakers with their best football ahead of them. And I bet the other day that the Giants were going to pick up Peppers, but I was 50-50 on that one. I, I think they like him more than I do. I'm, I'm thinking the, the more I think about it, the ones that are close, teams are going to pick it up because if they don't mm -hmm. play well, the option's not as big, and it's not guaranteed except for injury as well. So you could still cut a guy later, even if you pick up his option. So it gives you leverage, gives you at least an option that you have later, and it's not guaranteed unless someone gets hurt, and then you're locked into that fifth-year option. And if they don't play well and if they get hurt, it's probably going to be a lower option number anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a good situation for teams. and, and But I thought he was kind of on the Tack McKinley scale of, you know, maybe, but eh. You when in doubt, I would tag somebody, though. When it comes to the CBA, are you surprised a little bit that it wasn't more in the player's favor as far as that fifth-year option goes? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think that they like that in a way they're going to bet on themselves that if they tear it up that year and play really well, they could get more. Okay, yeah. But, no, I see that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that I, makes sense. kind of a cocky way of looking at it. Like, I'm great, and I'm going to be awesome, and I'll even excel the number I was going to get. Right. So it gives the good players a chance to make more money. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I can see it from that angle. That makes sense. I'm thinking like some of the late first rounders like Ramcheck and Watt and Tredavious White and guys like that. Right. So they, they'll They're make really a bigger good. number than they would have in the old system. But then another player would make less that's maybe in the middle of the round wouldn't make more than Watt because he didn't play to that level. I think that's how it works. Yeah, yeah. okay. That that makes a lot more sense then. And I could see how the players would be okay with that. But I was thinking that, if anything, the fifth-year option would be almost nearly gone in the new CBA because I, I just don't think the players like it <laughs> at all. Obviously, right. the teams they love hit, They all want to hit the open market. Right. All right, let's get into the NFC West. Arizona Cardinals up first. Universally praised the Arizona Cardinals 
I mean, how much difference does a year make? Steve Keim, I was surprised he still had a job when they realized that they wanted to draft a, another quarterback in the top 10 for the second straight year last year. They made the selection with Kyler Murray, new coaching staff, and now Steve Keim looks like a genius. Comes through with his second straight really right. good draft. I mean, look, we haven't seen these players on the field yet, but everyone's throwing out A's for the Arizona Cardinals, and I'm on board with that grade because Isaiah Simmons falling to them at eight. And look, they it's almost like... How much credit can you give the team? The Cowboys are in this boat. How much credit can you give a team that just didn't screw up the picks that fell into their laps, right? So Isaiah Simmons in round one, their second round pick was the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Then round three, I think a first round player, at least a late first, early second round prospect in Josh Jones, an offensive tackle at both a need position and a high value position falls to them in round three. Uh, Lecky Foe, two defensive tackle from Utah in round four. Their second fourth round pick was Richard Lawrence out of LSU and other defensive tackles. So trying to uh, fix that middle of the defensive line, which is another big need for them. And so they double dip there. I love that strategy. Evan Weaver in round six out of Cal inside linebacker and Eno Benjamin local Arizona state seventh round running back. I thought, Eno Benjamin was a little bit overrated in the process earlier when they were talking about him as a third round pick, but round seven, give me that all day. So love this draft, love the value for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I mean, especially when you equate Hopkins into the mix, one of my absolute favorite halls without question. Um, Simmons, again, falls in your lap. We've talked about him a lot. I think people know what he is at this point, but wow, that's exactly uh, what you'd love to get there. And the only reason you wouldn't take Simmons is because the tackle need was so great and there were so many good ones on the board. And a lot of people, including myself, had Josh Jones as the number five tackle in this draft. They get him noticeably later with the 72nd pick. And I don't think we talked about this, but what I heard about Jones was everyone loved his tape. They realized he was not playing against very good pass rushers, honestly. You know, I mean, some of those lower levels, the tackles should dominate if they're first, second round type guys. But I guess Jones went to the combine and added some weight and probably shouldn't have, and probably some of it was bad weight. And that's when the O-line coaches get involved. So they started watching him at the combine and thought, I don't see special movement traits with this guy, you know, the bag drills and all those type of things, but his tape was really good. So like the pro football focuses of the world, loved them. The coaches who started watching, you know, at the combine and those type of things weren't so high on him. Right. Pro football focus. I think I, he only gave up, uh, he had an absurd low number of pressures given up as a senior and he played a lot and his tape got better every year. Technique wise got better every year. He showed up at the senior bowl. Once he played so well at the senior bowl, I thought, okay, lock this guy into the first round. That's it. Josh Jones. Uh, Maybe he's not part of that top four group, like you mentioned, but number five for me, but you're right. Combine. He, I think he weighed in three seventeen, three eighteen, something like that. And apparently his playing weight was closer to 300 flat. Makes sense. During the yeah. season. And so, yeah, maybe he tried to get too big to show how big and strong he was at the combine. And then his, his movement s- skills suffered. You see him move on tape and it, it's a lot better than his very average combine numbers. Right. So for the coaching staffs that jump in when they do to see him at the combine for the first time, and that's their first exposure. And he didn't stand out there next to the guys that went ahead of him. So basically it's, you know, it's Austin Jackson. He's competing with an Ezra Cleveland and those guys worked out really well and showed their movement skills of the combine. And he took a step back from what you saw on tape to what you saw there at the combine with his movement skills. So I can get how you could fall a little bit and look late one to early three is not that big. 
of a drop, right? Because that means just, you know, every team has to have just one guy ahead of them for 32 picks and you could fall. So a one round fall really is what it was for Josh Jones. It looks bigger than it is because you think, oh, first round player in round three, but it wasn't a precipitous fall. And luckily for the Arizona Cardinals, he was there for them, their biggest need. And that's what really seals this because they were able to, they had that need, but the player was too good for them to pass. And I love that strategy for teams. Like, draft the best player. Don't draft for need in the NFL draft. Use free agency for your needs. And they were able to get both high upside players in Isaiah Simmons, who, by the way, gets to play against George Kittle twice a year, which I think makes mm. that pick even smarter for the Cardinals. And I can't wait to watch those matchups and see how Simmons is utilized against players like George Kittle and running backs in the league and and some other players like that lining up in the slot against wide receivers. That's going to be a fun chess piece, and I can't wait to see how Arizona uses Simmons. But, yeah, Josh Jones falling, and then, you know, guys like Benjamin. Just value throughout. Love this draft for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, and you mentioned Benjamin. I was dead on with you. I'm not using a third or fourth round pick on this guy, but at 222 and a guy just you know, was right down the street that can catch the ball and is good in the open field, I'm fine with that in the seventh round. Evan Weaver is an utter, utter tackling machine, uh, overachiever type, you know, super smart, be an awesome special teamer. But, I mean, he was great uh, as a football player, not as a tester. And then the two defensive tackles, Fotu's a lot more athletic and higher upside than Lawrence, but they're both nose tackle types. I mean, they're space eaters. So that's obviously what Arizona's looking for at that position. So very high grade for the Arizona Cardinals. I think this was yeah. a hit or miss division in the NFC West, Los Angeles Rams. I'm interested to see how you feel about this draft class, because I know you like some of the players on this list. I have some questions, even though I like guys like Cam Akers was their first selection, the 20th selection in round two, running back out of Florida State. Uh, they went with Van Jefferson, wide receiver from Florida in round two, round three, two picks again. Terrell Lewis, pass rusher from Alabama. Terrell Burgess, safety from Utah. Round four, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue, the tight end. Jordan Fuller in round six, Ohio State safety. Clay Johnson, Baylor, inside linebacker in round seven. Sam Sloman, kicker from Miami in round seven. There you go. You love that. The seventh I round special team. Seventh round kickers yeah. and punters. Do it. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Tremaine Ankrum, Clemson guard, their third pick in round seven. So a lot of picks, none in round one. I love Cam Akers as a player. But my initial thought there when I saw that pick go down the screen was, first of all, no, not Cam Akers to the Rams because now he gets another bad offensive line, right? Like that's the running back is not why your running game suffered last year if you're L.A., in my opinion. Yeah, and I hear you there. And um, I think there's a couple little things to note here just when you you read off the names. They had two twos, two threes. They had five picks between 52 and 136. So it's not like they were the cupboards were totally bare. You know, Tremaine Ankrum from Clemson, who I know nothing about, it was their last pick, and he was their only offensive lineman selected. And so a lot of national pundits have killed the Rams for how could you take all these dudes and ignore the offensive line? And I'm more in that corner than not, but I do think it's pretty notable that the last four, five weeks of the year, the Rams O-line came a long way. And, you know, they traded for Corbett. And, you know, they they, they added some things that I think the O-line, the arrow was pointing up when the season ended. I still didn't understand going Van Jefferson at 57 over O-line. That's where I would have done it. 
I think Cam Akers might be rookie of the year. I mean, I, I want him on my fantasy team. I'm buying now. I, I think he could really excel here. Um, but the other picks, I, I like the early, I like the names. Van Jefferson's a great route runner. I was told that he clocked the highest miles, miles per hour at the senior bowl, but he, he doesn't mm-hmm. seem like a particularly fast guy. Terrell Lewis is all upside. He needs to stay healthy. I thought Terrell Burgess was a really good player, more cover safety than anything, but versatile. And Bryson Hopkins in the fourth round, too, tells me you better get used to seeing a lot of double tight end sets. And that also helps the O-line a little. But I'm with you. I mean, I would not have ignored the O-line, but I think it's in better shape than it's nationally given credit for. Yeah, and that's that's where this class for me is a little bit odd because I can't give it an A because you don't have a first-round pick. And I like some of the players, but you got to go get some offensive linemen, I think. Uh, Cam Akers, a player I liked. Van Jefferson, I liked. Maybe a little bit high. I think he's the highest. He was the most... The, I don't know how to put this. He was the easiest evaluation for me in this wide receiver class. It was really obvious what he was. He was a high-floor, yeah. low-ceiling player. One of the best route runners. But he's already 24 years old. He started out at Ole Miss. Played early. You know, son of a player. Son of a coach. You know, he was running pro routes as a, as a teenager, basically. But... And even though, and I heard that about his miles per hour at the Senior Bowl and being fast, and he plays somewhat fast, but he never was, you know, a number one wide receiver in college. He always topped out at around 700 yards receiving. Two different schools with how polished he was. I would have wanted more production there, so I think he's an easy guy to jump in and play, you know, similar to, I guess, Robert Woods would be probably the closest comparison I would would have for Van Jefferson. So I see the fit there. He could come in, he could play early, good route runner, not the highest floor. Second round's fine. I would have liked him a lot better in rounds three or, or rounds four, but he can come in and play early. Terrell Lewis in round three, I think it's a great pick because of the high upside you have as a pass rusher. I like Burgess as well, who could potentially be a starting safety in the NFL. So I like some of the players, but overall mm-hmm. as a whole, I just felt like something was missing with this class, and and basically it was that offensive line. Um, real quick, you're a dynasty guy. Did anybody's stock take a bigger hit during the draft than Daryl Henderson? Ooh, bad. It's funny. I traded for him today in a, in a dynasty league because someone sent me Henderson straight up for Marquez Valdez Scantling, who everyone's back on the train and I'm just not buying it. I'll take the running back. And I, I just made the easy, easy swap, but one of these days, and maybe we'll do it after we're done with the series. I did put my dynasty ranks together and I have cam Akers as my overall number five pick. So I'm very high on acres. Don't don't imply that I'm super excited about Henderson. I just felt, figured I'd buy him at, you know, 50 cents on the dollar. Oh, right. Running backs, especially if you think that the wide receiver isn't going to be a number one or number two, go get that running back that could still in an offense that has had good running back productions in the past, despite the offensive line as of late. Um, no, I have no problem with that. And we should definitely do an episode about the the dynasty yeah, rankings yeah. And, and check into that. That's a that's a great plan. All right. Let's get to the Maybe rest like of the next week. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the rest of the NFC West. We got the 49ers and the Seahawks one and two in the division in 2019. Looking at the 49ers draft here and the first thought as we just got done talking about the Los Angeles Rams is that the Rams didn't get an offensive line. They already had trouble there and the 49ers got a defensive lineman. So the Rams didn't get another guy to block the first rounder, Javon Kinlaw, who's a monster inside for the 49ers. Uh, has some work to do to complete his game. Some inconsistencies there, but, you know, a beast of a player. And you could say the same about Brandon Ayuk, who high upside, a little bit raw, 
but obvious, obvious Kyle Shanahan fit. And a lot of people try to put linear outside receivers with the 49ers because it seems like, okay, you need something different. Kyle Shanahan doesn't care. He wants more right. of the same. He <laughs> wants nine slot receivers that could line up inside, outside, backfield. That's what he wants. Like borderline positionless football. And I think Brandon Ayuk is the perfect fit there. They had to trade up for him from 31 to 25. I don't know if they actually needed to, which deems that draft a little bit for me. Uh, I thought it was an unnecessary trade up with the lack of day two and, and day three picks. They had nothing until round five. After that, Colton McKivitz, offensive tackle from West Virginia, Charlie Warner, a blocking tight end slash fullback out of Georgia in round six. And then Juwan Jennings, an oversized four, seven speed wide receiver out of Tennessee, a big slot in round seven. How do you feel about this 49ers draft class in 2020, Matt? Yeah, and I thought it might be a Rugs or that type of guy too. You know, I mean something different. But you're you said it well. Just give me guys that break tackles and are good in the open field, and I'll get them the ball in space and after the catch. And you talked about Ayuk, obviously very well. I love him. I bet Shanahan is salivating over him. The fact that he struggles a little bit off press coverage probably won't matter because they'll put him in motion and getting the ball, you know, in his hands in a place he can really do a lot with it as he learns. But you mentioned Juwan Jenkins is the one that really Jennings really tells you the the story here. I know he ran slow, but he's a tackle breaking machine. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a seventh round pick, it just verifies they didn't go get the four two guy. They got the dude that might play some tight end for him. Who knows? I mean, positionless football. Get it in his hands. He'll run over a linebacker. He's an interesting guy in this scheme. Um, McKivitz, I think, is good value probably smart to just reinforce that offensive line. My hunch is he'll probably be guard more than tackle, especially after the Trent Williams trade. And Kinlaw just has immense potential, obviously. I mean, it's basically a two-player draft, of course, but that's great. Like the Saints, like we talked about, for a team that doesn't need a lot, I mean, quality over quantity makes a lot of sense. And John Lynch is competitive. You could see it. All Friday, they had no picks, but they were working the phones, and they had three trades lined up for Saturday during day three. They traded away Matt Breida for a fifth-rounder that became Colton McKivitz. They traded away Marquise Goodwin to Philadelphia, moving them up in the sixth round. Not a big return, but found a home for Marquise Goodwin and got that uh, money off the books. Uh, But the big trade here that you have to add to this draft class, or I guess you could add it to next year's class because they spent a higher pick next year, this year's fifth a future third for Trent Williams. And when you tie Trent Williams into this draft class with two potential starters in Kinlaw and Ayuk in the first round, you have to give him an A. Uh, I didn't like the trade up. I had receivers over Kinlaw at 14, but those are minor quibbles. If you told me the Niners with their haul was we're going to come away with Kinlaw, Ayuk, and Trent Williams, I mean, you can't not grade that an A. Yeah, absolutely true. And I don't think there's any reason to think that they took any kind of steps back this offseason. Uh, I thought they did a great job of getting value for Buckner and being able to keep, you know, Armstead and some of their own. And then you had two high quality prospects that in a way, Kinlaw and Ayuk have some uh, some similarities in that their ceiling is super high. Um, they have work to do, but they'll help you now and might really help you down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there was a question. I think there was a question here. Let me see if I can find it. And by the way, you can hit me up at BD Peacock. Find Matt at Williamson NFL. If you have any questions, we'll be starting on the AFC. We're going to go west to east with the AFC starting tomorrow. So if you have any questions about AFC teams and their drafts, hit us up and we'll uh, read them on the podcast. Uh, David wants to know, is Trent Williams the best new addition to the NFC West? Wow. Um, How about that Hopkins guy in Arizona? Yeah, Hopkins is pretty good. I would say... <laughs> I would say 
at their peak, maybe Trent Williams is, but Trent Williams is 32-year-old offensive tackle that just missed a season. So uh, I don't know exactly how he's going to look with the 49ers. Rust versus now he's healthy, which is maybe a good thing for a 32-year-old. Um, so we'll see what kind of player they get, but there are some... There were some high-caliber players drafted, and it might be one of the other first-rounders for the 49ers. Um, Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, there, there are definitely yeah. some other good players. I can't say that a 32-year-old offensive tackle is going to be the best addition, although he very well could be the best player at least for 2020, depending on how things go. And for the 49ers to lose Joe Staley to retirement and potentially get a better left tackle is about, I mean, that's, you know. That's good as you could ever ask for, right? Yeah, you, it's awesome. You couldn't ask for anything better. And the fact that they didn't have to mess with their first two picks to get that is is huge for the 49ers. Yeah, right. I mean, you didn't have to give up a huge trade asset you know, from the draft. But to answer that question, I'm still going with Hopkins. Good call. How about the Seattle Seahawks draft? They did it again. They they do what they do, which is befuddle I know. analysts and, and draft rankers. Jordan Brooks, the one, and you know there's going to be a player. Crazy. There's always going to be a player. Jordan Brooks was it this year, the guy that nobody had going in the first round that went 27 overall to the Seattle Seahawks. Then Daryl Taylor, they moved up to get the pass rusher in round two with some other rushers on the board. Another interesting pick there that I'm not completely on board with, even though I did like Taylor as maybe a late third round pick. Uh, Damian Lewis out of LSU, the guard in round three. Colby Parkinson, a tall uh, you know, move tight end type, more of a receiver than a blocker from Stanford in round four. Second pick in round four, DJ Dallas, running back from Miami. Alton Robinson, pass rusher from Syracuse in round five. Freddie Swain, wide receiver from Florida in round six. And then Stephen Sullivan, tight end from LSU in round seven. So a couple of receivers, a couple of tight ends. What do you think about this Seattle Seahawks draft, Matt? It's the same as always in that I would have taken all these guys around later. Like every one of them. Yep. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like. It's just how they are. I understand, and they win games, and I respect the organization. And Russell Wilson's a saint and a superstar for overcoming some things. Um, I talked about Brooks to some degree. He's a very good player. I just don't know that he's the next Bobby Wagner, and it's certainly not the position I would have went to. Um, I, Taylor, just like you said, I thought, boy, this would be a really nice pickup in the third round, but there's some risks to him. And I, I want to mention the other edge while we're there and Alton Robinson, who's a good player, a very talented dude with a lot of off the field stuff. So two edges that are high variance players. I think Lewis, the pure guard, a pure masher is not a variance guy at all. Perfect. You know, I mean, I got no problem with that guy. He'll probably be a long-term starter at guard and pave the way for big, heavy running backs for years to come. <sighs> This has a Bears feel at tight end, though. I mean, you sign Greg Olson, you have Will Disley, you have other dudes, and you draft two tight ends. I like Sullivan. I think he's really worth you know investing in for the long term. I don't like Parkinson. Jordan Brooks, maybe we're sleeping on him a little bit. You know, he ran four yeah. five four at the combine at six feet, two hundred and forty pounds, and he's a good player. And you know, the more you look at him, you're like, okay, fine, you know, good player, but still, you know, first round guy linebacker off-ball linebacker as far as positional value and they drafted a running back a few years ago is a similar situation it's like what are you doing why you know this is why they trade out of the first round every year because their board looks so much different and they get their guys later but they're always drafting at the end of the first round so despite missing on some first rounders and I don't see the guy in this year's class like last year if you just swap DK Metcalf 
you gave him first round value, even though they drafted him in the second round, move up to get him. That was a great move. And LJ Collier, you know, not existent year one for the Seahawks in round one, but they still got a first round value in DK Metcalf. I'm not so sure I see that in this year's class. No, I mean, maybe Taylor hits. I mean, I think there's a lot there with their second round edge guy. And Alton Robinson could certainly outplay where he was picked because of flags. But, I mean, I think Jordan Brooks is really good, and anyone would love to have him. It's just the value of it and the need and the position didn't add up to me. And this is one of my least favorite drafts. I guess Damian Lewis in round three, that's a fine spot for him and a potential starting guard. The so, guard out of LSU. So, the, yeah, uh, that one's not – that was probably my favorite pick, I guess, looking at this, just because he went in the right spot and could give you potential value for a third-round pick versus uh, some other players. I don't know if they're going to give you the value of their draft slot. And it doesn't doesn't tell me that they plan on getting away from the running game anytime soon. Oh, no. The, Se- <laughs> no, the, no. the Seahawks are going to Seahawk. Uh, that's, yeah. that's going to be clear as long as uh, Pete is in charge there. All right, that is the NFC West. Good stuff, Matt. We'll jump into the AFC tomorrow. We'll start West, go East. If you guys have any questions about the AFC and those teams post-draft, at BD Peacock on Twitter, at Williamson on Twitter. Talk to you tomorrow right here. Locked on NFL.